How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network, with gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. An important message from Blue Ridge Hospice. There may be several hospices now claiming to serve the area, but Blue Ridge Hospice is the only local hospice that has been serving here for 40 plus years, operates the only hospice inpatient care center, conducts the only community-wide grief and bereavement programs, offers a nationally recognized music therapy program in conjunction with Shenandoah University, outscores every other Virginia hospice in Medicare's quality scores, and so much more. Blue Ridge Hospice, the first, the best. Find out more at blueridgehospice.com. Welcome to the Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome! For more information, check out our website at www.switchbladesisterssocialclub.com, where you can also subscribe for bonus content, or find us on Instagram and Facebook. Hosted by the Good Wives Network, audience discretion advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Switchblade Sisters Social Club. Uh, This is a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. So my name is Dee and this is my sister Rhonda and we are the Safia Sisters. Hi. Hi. This is the first episode where I don't know what topic you're covering. And this has never happened to me on a podcast before. Well, you know what? I don't know how you're going to react because I'm not sure you would have heard of this person. I was going to say lady, but I think that's a little too generous a title for her. Yeah, I'm not sure you would have heard of her because I only came across her when I was doing some research. Do you want to give me clues? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, she's female. Okay. She's evil. Eileen Mornos. No, but I've avoided her because I thought she must have been covered to death. British or American? American. Modern day or old timey? I mean, we consider it the modern day, but we're talking 90s. (laughs) (laughs) So five minutes ago. (laughs) Is she a black widow? No. I don't know. I give up. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about someone called Michelle Notek. (gasps) Know her? No! Okay, so the reason I wanted to cover a female serial killer is because there's just less of them. And you talked about this before in one of our episodes. And also, I think I just wanted to know, I just wanted to understand it a bit more. (laughs) I mean, as women, we're kind of brought up to be afraid of men and to expect the worst. From women, especially like mothers, you automatically just assume a bit of trust, especially you kind of assume if their parents are maternal, caring. Well, she was none of these things. And That's why I was kind of so fascinated, because I wanted to know what makes somebody fucking evil. Yeah. I always want to know the backstory. There's always a backstory. No one just one day turns evil. But before we go in, I just want to point out, look how cool our cushion is. Oh, yeah. Available on our merch store. So do check it out on the website. And also... Oh, our hoodie. You can have the full shebang. You can even drink coffee out of a Switchblade Sisters coffee mug. Oh, I know you can. Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) Okay, so do you want me to tell you the story? 
Yeah, I've forgotten her name already. I'm that unfamiliar with it. What is it? Michelle Notek. Michelle Notek. All right, tell me about this bitch. Okay, so the last episode I presented about Amy Fisher and Joey Bada Bing Bada Boom, nobody died. Yeah. So I want to mix it up. This time people die, unfortunately. That's kind of the nature of true crime podcasts. So I'm giving the people what they want. Trigger warnings, but that should be expected. Yeah. As I said, I wanted to kind of cover this topic because most killers are men. And I just wanted to understand a little bit more about what makes women kill. So we're talking about Michelle Notek, who is, as I said, a very evil person. But what's interesting is that from the outside, she was believed to be generous and a giving person. And I find that even more fascinating because when I was researching this, I thought at times, was she two people? Is it a Jekyll and Hyde sort of situation? I didn't come across any evidence to support that theory, you know, split personalities, but it did raise that question for me. I don't think that's the case. I think she was manipulative, to be fair. I wouldn't want to give her that much credit to say that she had a good side, but it's interesting that she was able to portray that so fucking well. To fake it so well. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle was from a town in Washington state, south of Seattle, and she ended up, her last home was a cute little gingerbread looking house. From the outside, no one would have suspected a thing. She was known as Shelley and was born Michelle Watson. She, surprise, surprise, had had a troubled upbringing. Her dad left her mother when she was very young. Her mother was an alcoholic who got even worse when her husband left. Her husband's name was Les. So that's Michelle's dad. She ended up meeting another alcoholic who became her partner and they ended up living on Skid Row. So Michelle's mother was you know, working as a sex worker. She was an alcoholic. She was also extremely abusive. And when I say abusive, I mean torture. Michelle's mother's partner ended up murdering her mother in a motel room, beating her to death when Michelle was only five. Oh my God. Yeah. So the result was a troubled upbringing, a troubled childhood. And Michelle became very manipulative and challenging. One day before her mother's death, Her mother dropped off Michelle and her brother. She had two brothers, but she dropped off just Michelle and her middle brother, Chuck, to their dad's doorstep and said, just take the damn kids. You know, so that gives you an idea of what the mother was like. At this stage, I'm going to say Michelle is a victim. She's a kid. For sure. She's clearly become manipulative because that's the only way she can get her basic needs. Yeah. And also basic needs, but also like learned behavior. And I think that's one thing we come across in a lot of these episodes. When you look at the family background, Like attracts like because it's familiar. And if you're not exposed to different, you don't know what that looks like. Or you might not know how to respond to it. You might not even know it exists, that another way exists. Exactly. She got shipped around a lot between family members. So she went to live with her dad and his new wife, Lara, who actually did try to take her on to help her. But then she ended up living with her dad's parents, got kicked out of several schools. Ends up living with her aunt for a while. But unfortunately, she continued to try to ruin the lives of those around her. Literally. As a child? Yes. Oh, wow. Her abuse of others started young when she would babysit the neighbor's kids only to barricade them in their room with heavy furniture. Her torturous behavior started young. She didn't like school or authority figures and was described as pretty uncontrollable. Which is understandable when you come from a background like she did. You know, sometimes the kids with the worst behavior are the ones that need love the most. That I know from when I was a teacher. She was described, though, as being very striking and beautiful. And to be fair, she was. By the time she was 24, she had two daughters under three by two fathers. 
I'm not judging her for this. I'm just telling you the facts. <laughs> Have you got a picture of her? I'll show you. Yeah, she's cute. Yeah, you could see how she could confuse people. I'm feeling really quite sorry for her. Yeah. At this point. Exactly. And I think there is a point where the abused becomes the abuser, but they probably wouldn't have become the abuser had they not been so abused. Yeah. So by the time she was 24, she had two daughters and it appeared that she was settling into being a parent and worked hard to become a nurse. Now I've read different accounts. The other account was that her first husband, Randy, was coerced into marrying her because her dad and his wife, Lara, wanted her to be somebody else's problem. So they literally organized the wedding, got them a trailer to live in, didn't even invite his parents to the wedding because they didn't want any involvement, anyone to make this not happen. And apparently she was fired from several jobs, wasn't domestic at all. Don't blame her. I'm not. So there were reports that she kind of settled when she had her kids and other reports that, no, it was just the same old shit. She was trying to become a nurse, though, and she was continuing a family tradition as her grandmother and aunt on her dad's side were all nurses, and the family actually owned care homes. But as I said, she got fired from a few jobs. She didn't qualify as a nurse in the end, but she did work in the care homes. It is said that she was always very drawn to less fortunate people. We will find out why. After a while, it looked like she sorted herself out. Fast forward past the two partners who were her kids' dads, she met a new guy called Dave Notek, who was a Vietnam veteran, um, and she met him in 1982. He was a lonely widower and was looking for someone to fill the void. So on the outside to him, Michelle seemed like a good catch. They married in 1989 and settled in Raymond, Washington, which was a small town. Michelle stayed at home with the kids, and David worked in construction. And soon after they got married and whatever, they took in her 12-year-old nephew, Shane Watson, who was her youngest brother, Paul's son. Because remember, she likes to look after needy people. I think I know what's coming, though. Mm -hmm. She just liked vulnerable people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a name for what she had, the condition. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. As we know, back in the day, diagnoses for things were not as common as they were now, and people weren't getting support as they do now, although it's hard to get. We'd like to think that if she was a kid now, she would have more support, and hopefully whatever is bound to happen here wouldn't have happened. Her dad did put her in a lot of counseling, and I'll explain why later on. Didn't seem to help, but anyway, I'll tell you about that in a sec. So Shane's dad was Michelle's brother. So Shane is her nephew. His dad also struggled to come to terms with the mother's murder. Shane's father was in a motorcycle gang and he was always in and out of prison. So Shane was also raised by a lot of people in his early years and was getting into a lot of trouble. David, who was Michelle's husband, treated Shane like his own son, spent a lot of time with him. Soon after, David and Michelle had their first daughter, Tori. Their first daughter together. She already had two girls before. Her two other girls were called Nikki and Sammy. So right after Michelle gave birth, a friend called Kathy Lorena moved in to help, which is weird. Hmm. I mean, she wasn't brought in as like a live-in au pair. She was a friend who just was brought in to help. They have four kids at this point. And Shelly, Michelle wasn't particularly domestic. Domesticated, so, as you said. Yeah. You know, I can see how somebody offers. You might take well that offer. Kathy had started out as Michelle's hairdresser and they became friends after bonding over heartbreak. So Kathy was apparently another person Michelle tried to help. And in 1989, when Kathy couldn't pay her rent, Michelle helped and took her in in exchange for help with the kids. 
At this point, Michelle, David, and her two daughters, Shane, the nephew, and their new baby, and Kathy all moved out of their cramped small house into a bigger house out in the sticks, which is the gingerbread house. It was very private and isolated. That doesn't sound good. I want to Google her house. It's not the cutest house I've ever seen, but by the States, out in the middle of nowhere, it's cute by those standards. <laughs> Don't be looking for an English country cottage because it's not it's not that. Yeah, you kind of sold it as cuter than than what it is. I mean, it's cute for, you know, a serial killer. I mean, it's not not cute. Yeah. Kathy was with him for two years, but then met a boyfriend and moved on to California in a sudden spur of the moment decision in 1991. So this is the friend. She got a boyfriend and moved out. I mean, it was going to happen. She's not going to live there forever. Well, let's see. Kathy never told the family she was leaving or ever said bye. Yeah, you're so naive. (laughs) She just upped and left one day, apparently with her boyfriend. So Kathy went missing for several years and her family eventually in 1994, three fucking years after she went missing, reported her missing. I know that every family is different, but I feel like within hours, yes, my family would know there was something wrong. Yeah. Like I even have to, if I want to take a nap in the day, I even have to text the family group, don't I? Yeah. If I didn't hear from you for 24 hours, I'd get scared. That long. We have a dad. He calls me on average about two to three times a day. Yep. We have a family WhatsApp group, which isn't that weird. I think most people do have some sort of thing we like that. We have several. We have several. We have several <laughs> of different configurations. And yeah, if I was not responding, and like I said, I often have to text people in the family when I'm going to be out of communication for a couple of hours, whether I'm taking a nap or, or just going to be busy or whatever, because I know what they're like. And if they try to reach me, we have a dad who calls on repeat because he doesn't understand that you basically see the same amount of notifications whether someone's called you once or 800 times so it makes me sad because it it makes me think like there are obviously families where someone would have to be out of the picture for a lot longer before the family's like hang on a minute when's the last time we spoke to them and okay this is before mobile phones and social media so apparently she was on a road trip with her trucker boyfriend traveling around the country so these are the postcard days but still like three years that's a long time We were around pre-mobile phone. And if we were doing anything like that, that involved traveling around a lot, and we traveled to other countries and whatnot, that was all the more reason we were obliged to like phone in. (laughs) But I mean, I guess she's an adult. Yeah. So. Yeah. The police then paid a visit to the Notech house and Michelle didn't appear to be concerned about Kathy saying that she was in California and showed the police apparent letters and postcards she was sent from Kathy. So the police were convinced and let the matter drop. Look how easy it is to get away with crimes, you know? It's fucking crazy. They didn't even check that it was her handwriting or anything like that. What also happened in 1993, the year before Kathy was reported missing, was that Shane, the nephew, went missing. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh, how old is he at this point? Teenager? Teenager, yeah. Michelle reported him missing as a runaway. So soon after the report was filed... Michelle contacted the police and said she'd heard from him and that Shane was in Alaska and got a job, so decided to stay. And apparently this was a very common thing to do with summer work, going to Alaska, because it was well-paid. Didn't know that. Then, in the summer of 2001, Michelle's oldest daughter went to the police to make allegations that were terrifying and sickening. By this point, the abuse had been going on for a long time. Michelle met Dave in 1982. The daughter was already a few years old. So daughter would have been born in the late 70s. 
So she'd be in her 40s. Yeah. I mean, by 2001. Adult. 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 Ad- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do math. That's not this kind of show. <laughs> no. If you're looking for a maths podcast, look elsewhere. Yeah. So Michelle's eldest daughter was called Nikki. She told the police she had information about Kathy's disappearance and wanted to tell them. Oh, sorry. In my notes, it says her daughter was 26 at this time when she made the report. Okay. That would have spared us a lot of embarrassment. <laughs> so when, wait, so when Kathy went missing, she was about 10 years younger. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because we're so 2001 now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She went to tell the police she was extremely afraid of Michelle and she didn't want Michelle to find out that she'd reported this to police. So once Nikki started telling the story, it was obvious why she was so afraid. She told the police that Michelle had murdered Kathy. The police were shocked because Michelle was known to be a Samaritan type locally who worked with the elderly and took in people in need. But according to Nikki, her kind demeanor was just a sinister trap, which we already know. Because behind closed doors, as soon as she had them in her house, she turned into a monster. As soon as they were dependent on her, she turned. So Nikki claimed that Kathy was a person who was most abused by Michelle. She'd been imprisoned and enslaved and forced to crawl around the house naked, as well as being beaten and starved. So one horrific story I came across was that Michelle would make the food look really nice on the outside, but underneath it be rotten with bugs in it. Yeah, yeah, she was. What the fuck? That is cruel. I wonder how much of this was treatment that she received as a child. Oh, completely. Well, her mother wasn't great. You know, she abandoned her. And also, apparently, the grandmother was very abusive and torturous. So she comes from a long line of torturous, dysfunctional people. This is like another story of adults failing the children in their lives. Oh, completely. Do you know what? Honestly, I really think if people have issues, fucking sort them out before you have kids and pass them on. It's, It's like heartbreaking when people fuck their kids up and don't turn a blind eye to your kids problems either because yeah they won't get better on their own they'll get yeah. worse i'm not saying everyone will go on to be a killer yeah just nip that shit in the bud so michelle would force kathy to eat this and because kathy had been so starved she gave in she apparently she lost like a hundred pounds in the time that she was there so michelle's daughters recounted that michelle also used these tactics on them Her daughters would also be beaten, and her nephew had food restricted, were locked up in closets, and made to use buckets as toilets. Do we know why Kathy stayed? Because, I mean, obviously we understand why the kids did. Well, I'm going to get into that, but it's all fear. It's all fear. She would make her kids stab Kathy with scissors as well. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she would, she, they would have to take part, or they would be tortured themselves by Michelle. So fear, you know? David, her husband, was also a willing accomplice. He went along with Michelle's abuse. Oh, do you know what I'm getting? Rose and Fred West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like attracts like. The question does arise whether he was also one of her victims and was also afraid because she did make the kids torture Kathy. She did make David torture Kathy. Was he also afraid of her? That's going to come up in a bit. According to the middle daughter, Sammy, the reason why my mom was able to control Dave was because while I love him, he's just a very weak man. He has no backbone. He could have got happily married and been an amazing husband to somebody because he really would have been. But instead, he just got his life ruined too. So that's Michelle's daughter's take on it. Well, it gets a little worse with Dave too. I was just going to say from at this point with the very little I know, he seems in the best place to have stopped this yeah, sooner. Exactly. He's not a kid. 
He was a vet, you said. He's been in the military. Yeah. According to Nikki, the eldest daughter, Kathy had tried to escape early on and made it down a quarter of a mile down the road. But Michelle found her and Kathy just stopped trying to escape and became completely hopeless. She was also physically very weak, lost 100 pounds, wasn't being fed properly, was being absolutely tortured and abused. I mean, you can imagine, you know, like a lot of stories of captors, they just give up hope. You know, well, there's even stories of captors leaving the home, going off on shopping trips and still coming back. Michelle also would psychologically abuse Kathy. We kind of expect that as well. Nikki didn't know how Kathy died, just that she mysteriously disappeared in 1991. And Nikki confirmed that Michelle faked the letters from Kathy and the story about the trucker boyfriend. That just never happened. Nikki said her mother told her that if she ever told the police, they would kill her and all the kids. So as the eldest daughter, she had this responsibility towards the others. So Michelle would also torture her daughters and lock them in dog kennels and even once shoved one of her daughter's heads through a glass door. Yeah, it gets extreme. I know. I know. It's not pleasant. The daughters were told that Shane had run away and they didn't know the real story. But at age 21, Nikki finally managed to run away and spent five years in hiding, only to tell her story at age 26, 10 years after Kathy disappeared. The police checked medical and school reports to verify the story and found no signs of abuse of Michelle's daughters. Because on the outside, they all seemed fine. But it's scary, isn't it? Because as a teacher, we're taught about safeguarding. You have to every year. You have to have attend safeguarding training. And some signs are obviously very clear. But what's frightening is that to the teachers, this wasn't clear because they appeared to be kids who were involved in extracurricular activities. And there is an assumption that kids who are doing well at school and doing extracurricular activities have parents who care about their development and stuff like that. And you said that the mom was like volunteering at the old people's home and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Your typical profile of a family that. Yeah. Well, another thing I can tell you from being a teacher, that's. There's no typical profile. (laughs) No, no, no. And that's the frightening thing. And sometimes the parents are in positions of power job wise as well. So you really don't know. And she was clearly clever with it. She clearly knew how to get away with it for a fairly long time. Yeah. So police dropped the case again, even after Nikki went and told them all this. And Kathy's case went cold for a second time. Police negligence there, because I think if somebody says that their mother's doing all this, you should at least go back and investigate. By 2003, it was more than a year since Nikki made her allegations against Michelle. And Nikki got scared again and went into hiding, refusing to cooperate. Yeah, because what comes of it? Nothing. Yeah. So in 2001, Michelle took in 57-year-old Ron Woodworth, who was down on his luck after being devastated by a breakup from his long-term partner. He also lost his job and his home had been repossessed. Michelle had once looked after Ron's elderly mother in a care home, so he kind of trusted her. He moved in with a no-tex in 2001. Oh, I just, sorry, just had a horrible thought. Mm-hmm. Did they investigate the care home? I wondered that. I came across nothing about that. But I don't know if care homes can silence that sort of thing. Because, so I don't know. And the care homes she worked in were owned by her family. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron also refused to speak to the police, avoiding them when they would come around to the house. The police couldn't do much more if Nikki or Ron wouldn't cooperate anymore. After two years in hiding, Nikki came back 2003 to speak to the police, this time with her sister, Sammy, who's 24. When the police interviewed Sammy, she confirmed Nikki's story. Michelle was literally abusing people psychologically and physically. 
And both of them were scared for their 14-year-old sister, Tori, who was still living there. Oh. And she's David's daughter. David and Michelle's daughter. According to Michelle's daughters, Ron had also gone missing. 57-year-old Ron. Michelle's explanation of his disappearance. So we've got now three disappeared people. And Ron disappeared after around the time that the daughter first came forth about what was going on. So Mm -hmm. in theory, his life could have been spared. I'm assuming he's dead. Yeah. So we have Kathy, Shane, and Ron disappeared. Michelle's explanation of Ron's disappearance is that he'd met someone who moved to California. The same story as Kathy's. Apparently, Michelle demanded that Ron cut ties with his family. This is the real story. Forced him to drink his own urine ordered him to jump off the roof. And when he didn't die from that two-story fall, it left him really badly injured. And as treatment, Michelle would pour bleach over his wounds. This is the stuff of nightmares. You know, who who even dreams of this these kinds of torture, you know? That is just horror movie level. It is. Yeah, torture. it is. I'm actually surprised she's not more well-known because honest to fucking God, this story is worse than Eileen Warnos. In 2003, Ron's come to the torture and died. Michelle hid Ron's corpse in the freezer, and David eventually buried him in the garden. The eldest two daughters, Sammy and Nikki, they went to rescue their younger sister, who appeared more than happy to go with them. Michelle was there at the time and denied the allegations. The police were there too. And she was apparently crying and being manipulative. And the police then called in David to interrogate him, and they confronted him with the stories that the daughters had told. He denied everything at first, and said that Kathy had died after falling and slipping in the shower. So he admitted that she was dead, but not that they killed her. Yeah, okay. he did admit that he and Michelle attempted to cover up the death, being afraid that they would be accused of murder. The real story was that he found Kathy choking. Well, this is a... En- Do we know if it's a real story? No. Another story? Yeah. Another version of events came out when they interrogated him, that he found Kathy choking on her own vomit, her eyes rolled back in her head. And so he flipped her on her side, started scooping the vomit out of her mouth with his fingers, but it was no use. And apparently after five minutes of CPR, Kathy was dead. I don't buy it either. It seems a little bit too kind. They might have found her in that state because if she was so weakened and being tortured and being forced to consume all kinds of disgusting things, I can't imagine that after torturing her, they're fishing vomit out of her mouth. I can't imagine they would even bother yeah. David later recalled, I know I should have called 911, but with everything that had been going on, I didn't want the cops there. I didn't want Michelle in trouble or the kids to go through that trauma. <laughs> he didn't want the kids to go through that trauma, but he was happy with all the rest. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network, with gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Do you know an army mom who deserves an extra special gift this Mother's Day? Order a commemorative brick to be placed in her honor on the grounds of the National Museum of the United States Army in Alexandria, Virginia. You can personalize the brick with the perfect message and even order a replica to have as a keepsake. Order now and her brick will be installed by Veterans Day. Remember mom's service in a way that will last forever. Design your brick and place your order at armyhistory.org. That's armyhistory.org. So he said, I didn't want this to ruin their lives or our family. I just freaked out. I really did. Didn't know what to do. 
When Michelle learned of Kathy's death, she convinced David and the kids that each of them would be incarcerated if they told outsiders. So at Michelle's command, David burned Kathy's corpse. David told police that they had burned the body and dumped her ashes in the ocean. David was a surfer, so he would take buckets of ashes at a time to dispose of in the ocean. But what happened to Ron? David admitted that Ron died too. David alleged that Ron killed himself by overdose. I mean, it's possible that he did because he just wanted to get out of the torture. We won't know. However, they didn't burn Ron's body. And he replied that because there was a burn ban that summer. So they couldn't burn the body. So they had a predicament. He knew that if he started a fire, someone would report it to the police. So according to David, Ron's body was buried in the back garden. So because he admitted to illegally disposing of two bodies, the police immediately searched the five-acre property for human remains. They had this little house with a lot of land around it. Yeah. Very secluded, very isolated, very private. We now know why they wanted that house. So the police then finally had enough evidence to arrest Michelle, who had been actively torturing and killing for years by this point. She still maintained her innocence while being handcuffed, despite David's confessions and her daughter's allegations. So on the morning of August 9th, 2003, police swarmed Michelle's house to dig up the five acres of land with a search warrant, cadaver dogs, and heavy machinery. Tori, the youngest daughter, was placed in her sister Sammy's custody. David confessed to shooting Shane. The teenager, the nephew of Michelle. And burying Ron five months later. He was charged with second-degree murder for shooting Shane and served 13 years in prison. The police found Ron's body buried in a shallow grave inside a sleeping bag wrapped in plastic refuse sacks. They found a small shed on the property where David then admitted he killed Shane under Michelle's instruction. So Shane was apparently threatening to go to the police to tell them about how Kathy was being tortured. Poor guy. I mean, what a legend. He was trying to save her. And that kid had been through a lot, too. His dad was in and out of prison. Don't know what happened to the mother. Michelle used to make Shane go stand outside naked in the cold while she dumped water on him. So that poor boy had a lot of abuse, too. Michelle told David for the sake of the family, he had to kill Shane. David was apparently an easily led person, and so he took a rifle, snuck into the shed where, J- where Shane was working, and shot him. David then burned Shane's body in the garden. So over the next few weeks, the police continued to search for the property for Kathy and Shane. Searching inside the house, however, the police found loads of evidence of torture. And you know what? Why the fuck didn't they find this earlier? You know, when Nikki and Sammy went to the police to report abuse, why didn't the police go and search the house? When Kathy went missing, why didn't they search for clues? At this point, there's still a child living there. Yeah, like if you have any fucking doubt, go search. Don't give a shit about offending people. Just go search, you know? They found loads of evidence of torture. They even found photographic evidence of the claim that Kathy was forced to crawl across the floor naked. They found photos showing Kathy's decline, how she became emaciated and unwell over time. Back in this time, you had to go and take your camera rolls to be developed. Yeah, did they have a dark room? Maybe, maybe, because seriously, whoever the fuck developed those pictures and didn't report that. Kathy finally ends up in court for torturing three people to death. She was defiant till the end and showed no remorse whatsoever. Did she admit it? Let me finish. However, since Shane and Kathy's body were nowhere to be found, it was very hard to convict her, despite all the fucking evidence. So Michelle's oldest daughter provided important evidence, but David solidified the case by making his confessions. He was apparently very humble and honest about his part in it all. Who knows whether he was fucking sorry or whether this was just a show in court. 
Michelle, however, did not plead guilty, but the judge gave her the maximum that the law would allow, which was 22 years. 22 years? I know. You know, the American justice system is fucking flawed. Apparently, Kim Kardashian actually has a really good podcast about it. Haven't listened, but apparently it's good. Michelle is still in prison now, but she's set to be released in just over three years. Fuck off. 2026. She'll be 72. Nikki and Sammy, the two eldest daughters, are now in their mid-40s living in Seattle. Tori, however, the youngest one, uh, needed a change of scene and moved to Colorado. In 2018, David was paroled, so he's out, and reached out to his daughters to ask for forgiveness. Sorry I tortured you and let you be tortured and kill people in front of you? Well, listen to what they say. They've gone on record saying that despite everything, they do forgive him, whom they, they consider to be just another one of Michelle's victims. However, Nikki did not accept her father's apology. For her, the abuse was unforgettable and unforgivable. So that's where we are now. The kids are left without contact with parents. At one point, both parents were in jail. Michelle's still in jail, not for much longer. It's unlikely that she would have undergone a massive change in that time and come out a clean living Good Samaritan. But what I always find interesting, and I always, always want to delve into the background, what makes somebody bad? What makes somebody commit all these crimes, you know? Because these are not just crimes. There should be another fucking word for it because it's like, there's crimes that don't hurt people. And then there's crimes that intentionally are there to hurt people. And some of the common factors are a bad upbringing, as we talked about, a negligent upbringing, often with abuse themselves. Another common factor is that they're master manipulators, you know, like with uh, Ted Bundy. You know, a lot of the serial killers are described as charming and no one seems to have a single inkling of what's going on because their victims are afraid. Interesting, because you remember when when this did come up before, I think it was a Levi Belfield episode mm. when I had just gone to the talk by Jennifer Reese. In her talk, she she talks about the differences between male and female serial killers and basically females tend to use more distant methods and by that I mean poisoning or guns because it's less dependent on your physical stature on the assumption that women tend to be smaller physically than men on average whereas men serial killers will more often be more hands-on strangulation stabbing so forth so this is a weird one because it bucks that trend because she's using very hands-on means of torture. I don't know whether it, the end goal was to kill them. It obviously was with Shane where she told him to kill him. But I don't know with the torturing of the other two, whether that was the the plan or whether they died as a result of the torture. But really, like she obviously didn't care if they lived or died. I think for her, it was the torture. It was the torture more than it was the killing. It was a torture... Because that's what she experienced. And, you know, even when she was a kid, apparently she got kicked out of Catholic boarding school. She got kicked out of several schools by this point, but her her dad managed to get a Catholic boarding school to take her in. And she used to put glass in the bottom of the kid's shoes, you know, as a kid. So I think it was the pleasure of torture. And all of that, again, not a psychologist. It seems like it's an attempt to get back the control she never had mm. when she was being tortured, when she was being abused. And emulating that behavior. People often become like their parents, unless you actively don't want to be that. And it's emulating what she experienced. It's so sad. Yeah, it is. But it's interesting at what point the abused becomes the abuser. With her, it started very young. 
what point do you have to start blaming the victim for becoming the abuser? Oh, I have another fact. When she was a teenager, one day she just didn't come home from school and her stepmother, Lara, who did try to help her out and did look after her for quite a number of years, knew something was up, knew something was wrong. And it ended up that she was taken in by the police because she had accused her dad of rape. Lara freaked out, went to search her room and found a True Confessions magazine where the headline was, my father raped me when I was 15. As it happens, the dad was completely in disbelief. It's easier to assume in this case that that sort of abuse could have happened to her, but he did instruct the doctors to do a medical examination, which found that it wasn't true. What, she was still a virgin, I hope. Yeah, no bruising, no wounds either. So that turned out to not be the case. It was after that that her dad and her stepmother did put her in for lots of counseling and therapy. They did try, but I don't know, there's another theory that you're hardwired by the time you're three. She was dropped off on his doorstep when she was six. And the amount that she would have seen by then that no person should see, let alone a child, bless her at that point. Bless six-year-old her. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So that's another bit of the story. So she did have counseling. She did have counseling, but by that point, she was a teenager and a lot of damage had already been done. But yeah, what, what, what do you make of this story? I feel like I need to go and process it in the dark. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it really, really brings to the forefront, like at what point the abused becomes the abuser and at what point can you stop making excuses for them because they were abused Mm -hmm. and at what point does it become their responsibility because to quote amanda from one of my favorite podcasts wine and crime she always says your mental health is not your fault but it is your responsibility Mm, good point especially as you get to adult age but the thing is if you get to adult age and you don't realize there's anything different or there's anything wrong with the way you are because you don't know any different, then it's a bit tricky to be like, well, you're an adult now. Why haven't you fixed yourself? Yeah. I have no idea what she would have been classified as having these days. I know. I wondered. I wondered that. She's definitely sadistic. Mm -hmm. She's definitely getting her jollies off torturing people. Yeah. Is there something more? I think it's just a control and a power thing, because she would have felt so powerless most of her life. I don't think we'll understand quite... What the fuck makes these people tick? Yeah, I mean, this one is, I would say, probably the worst topic I'm going to cover. It was pretty bad. Because it involves kids and torturing kids. It's so funny because the other day you said you didn't want to cover, who was it, Israel Keys because of the sewing, the eyes, eyelids open. Yeah. And then you come back with child killing. I know, because you know what? There was something about his daughter, and I think that put me off looking into it more and I don't know what he did to his daughter and I can't really normally cope with anything to do with bad bad things happening to kids but this one kind of didn't know what I was getting into when I started researching it I was just looking for female killers you said you found her when you were researching something else what were you researching are you just looking for females yeah I was just looking for female killers and I didn't want to cover Eileen because she's been covered I wanted to just wanted to understand women killers especially ones who are mothers, where's the maternal instinct? Where's the nurturing instinct? Do they not have it? We know that some parents don't. A lot of the women serial killers, it's the motive, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of them, they're black widows or it's for financial gain. So you've got a few of the American 
female serial killers are those. They've suspiciously had multiple husbands die on them. Oh, yeah. Much of the time, I'll say, I don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but I will anyways. The reason for killing multiple people is financial gain or stability or security. Whereas this is something different. There's no practical, in quotation marks, reason for doing this. If anything, it's impractical because like she's got someone willing to help her and raise her kids and she fucking debilitates her by torturing her and poisoning her and all kinds of stuff this is just the enjoyment of the actual torture it seems like yeah just just more twisted so did i do good you did good i'm proud of you (laughs) so yeah i mean this yeah i've still got some other topics that are pretty unpleasant there's one particular murder one which is gruesome and evil they all are but this one i like a bit of variety and i wanted to throw one in where it was oh god the mother aspect i don't know whether it's some sort of reverse sexism where we assume that women are going to be more nurturing and so forth but you do especially with their own children yeah to be honest it's hard to understand any parent treating their kids neglecting their kids in any way but this is next level this is torture not just like neglect where you sort of the absence of doing things you should do this is going further and doing stuff you definitely should not be doing yeah so that's story of uh michelle notek so what you been watching this week (laughs) (laughs) let's let's end on a light and greasy note (laughs) yeah i have been watching Okay, so you know, one of my other favorite podcasts is True Crime and Cocktails with Lauren Ash and Kirsty Oxborough. And Lauren Ash is Dina in Superstore. And have you seen Superstore? Have you watched no. it? No, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, it's on Netflix. It's really, really good, lighthearted, easy watching comedy. Mm-hmm. And Dina has always been my favorite because she's kind of like dark, you know, she's she's one of us, basically. When I started watching, listening to True Crime and Cocktails, I came across it because either it was recommended in a podcast or it was suggested to me on Spotify because of what what other stuff I listened to. And I was like, I fucking recognize this voice. I recognize this voice. And it was only after a few episodes that she mentioned Superstore. And I was like, fucking hell, it's Dina. So as a result of binging True Crime and Cocktails and having caught up now with all their episodes, I'm having to wait for the weekly drops. So annoying when that happens. I know, but then by that time, I've got a buildup now of wine and crime that I'm catching up on. So it's okay. It's okay. Fine. It's a first world wine. I get that. Because I was I was missing my Lauren Ash hit, I've started watching Superstore again. Oh, good. I'll try. Try it. You would like it. I don't know, D. Whenever people tell me to watch a comedy, and sometimes you're guilty of this, tell me to go watch a comedy. I'm waiting to fucking laugh. I'm waiting the whole episode to fucking laugh. And I don't laugh. You know that it's, I find it hard. There's like three people in the world that make me laugh. You're one. There's not much that makes me laugh. And I I wish more did, but it doesn't. (laughs) It's a specific brand of humor that I like. And honestly, it's just, like I said, super bad. Hangover. Okay, well then don't watch it because I don't oh, think it's Oh, is it not funny? Like oh, well, I'm not going to fucking laugh. Why do you recommend it then? No, because it... Cause I think The Office is funny, but I don't laugh. It's just that uncomfortable humor that I love. Well, there's a lot of that. It. I think it's funny. It's like good background TV as well. Should I tell you what I don't find fucking funny? Yes, you're going to because you're angry. When you told me to watch The Inbetweeners. I don't know how you don't find The Inbetweeners funny. We need to do a poll. Can we do a poll? Deanna, when you told me to... 
Can we do a poll? Let's settle this. Who's right? Okay, we'll do a poll. I'll do a poll. Okay, because do you know what? Summer Heights High, that's fucking funny. And as an ex-teacher, it's really fucking funny. I watched In Between Us. I'm like, there's nothing funny about this. Try it again now that you haven't been a teacher for a while. Can I tell you why it makes me angry? I started to view your recommendations differently after that. <laughs> and every time you told me something was funny, I always think of that moment. Me. No. Can you tell me how many episodes you watched? Oh, not even one. Oh, okay. Well. well how am I going to watch more than one? Dan, if it's good, it grabs you. If it's good, it fucking grabs you. I know, you. but can you at least watch two episodes? Probably for not. Me? I pro- I pro- you know what? I have like an hour of day of TV watching if I'm lucky. If I'm lucky. You're missing out. Right, fine. Then you have to do a poll. Okay, I'm going to do a poll. Do you think it's just English humor? See, it's so dark and twisted that I think you'll fucking love it. Like whenever when you used to talk, go on about bus wanker or something, I was like, why the fuck's that oh, bus so wanker? Because it was funny. <sighs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to find the best bits. Because <laughs> you know that my attention span is limited. Something has about three seconds to grab me. Otherwise, I'm out. I'm checked out. My phone is out. I'm scrolling. <laughs> That's why you don't want to watch a film with me because... No, and I don't ever want to watch film. <laughs> Nobody wants to watch Sometimes a film Sometimes you me. tell me, oh, I watched this. And I'm like, how the fuck did you manage to follow that storyline without well, me there? Well, I didn't. Because... <laughs> I was sitting next to Jim who told me the story. Because <laughs> you're always like, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. Well, what have you been watching? Are you, oh, I was going to say, why do you ask me what I'm watching? So some things I'm watching, I can't tell you because they're spoilers because they're my research for future episodes. Okay, so it's literally the same conversation we had last week. So Yeah, the rest of it's going to be the same as last week. I've been watching Real Housewives. Who did I check in with? I checked in with the Real Housewives of Potomac. Ooh. Um, have you started watching Wednesday? Because that's so good. Yeah, well, we talked about that, didn't we? No. Oh, did I not start? That's true. I didn't start watching it last. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I started watching it. Do you know what? I love anything that Tim Burton does. Everything. The kids stuff, the adult stuff. I mean, ever since Edward Scissorhands, it freaked the fuck out of me as a kid, but, uh, you know, in like a way that you love it. Yeah, obsessed. So yeah, I loved it. And I love the actress. I think she's so cute. She's so good. Do you know what? She's so cute. She's so good. But I'll tell you what, though. We are of the 90s Family Adams era. I never watched the one in the 60s. So Christina Ricci was perfection in in that role, where I believed she was Wednesday Adams. Do you know what I mean? Where I didn't feel like she was acting. I really felt she had this acerbic, dark wit (laughs) that was just so believable. Like, didn't feel like acting. She fucking was Wednesday Adams. I do feel like this actress is acting, but she is obviously because she's an actress. What you're saying is that it's not a documentary? <sighs> I know what I'm trying to say, but Wednesday Adams of the 90s was... You can't beat her. You can't. You can't Very fucking her. convincing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Very fucking convincing. And th- this new one, I think her name is Jenny Ortega. I think she's... I liked her a lot in You. And I think she's a great actress. It's just... It's always that thing of when you compare something to the older version of it or a different version that you're more used to. But I love this. It's completely different. Bravo to her to even taking it on. Yeah. Because of how iconic Christina Ricci is as Wednesday. And how cool is it that she's in it too? I love that. Yeah. But what I found interesting is that in this series, Wednesday doesn't get along with her parents. And I find that out of character. 
because actually they were always a very loving family. So I find that weird, a little weird and hard to understand. I was struggling with that too, because they, they got along so much more. And I'm like, oh, is this because she's a little bit older? It's like kind of bratty teenage years. But I can't wait to finish it. I've been, I'm, I'm still early days in the season. Yeah, I'm on only on episode two. I do like it a lot. Like, I fucking love it, actually. Forgetting the comparisons with old school Adam's family, it, it is good. I mean, anything that Tim Burton does is good. Do you know where it's filmed? Where? Romania. I wondered. Do you know what? I wondered because that town is so cute. I thought, where the fuck is it? I was wondering. Oh, no. The town? The town? is a fake set because uh-huh. I googled it you're gonna laugh because I thought it might be Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls it looks very similar mm. it looks a lot like a lot of small American towns you know how they all look a little bit like Mr. Village <laughs> they all look like a fake town all these little yeah they American really do towns. well that one is a fake town but the school which is so cool isn't it mm. like proper gothic mansion mm-hmm. is that, that real is- yeah, it's a real castle, and there's a bunch of other places that are real places in Romania. And the reason why I was super excited about that, for those that don't know, I went to Romania in September, and it was awesome. I loved it so much. I can't wait to go back. Did you know the latest census that the most, the fastest growing language in London, I don't know if it's London or the UK, but is Romanian? Oh, wow. It did look amazing from the pictures. It really did. So check out Wednesday. Check out, oh my God, honestly... I had the best holiday in Bucharest. We had a day trip into Transylvania. The food was amazing. It's so cheap compared to London, like so crazy cheap. The people were so friendly, so lovely, so warm. Romania is my new destination hotspot. And the spa, you went to an amazing spa. Oh, the thermal spa by the airport just outside Bucharest was amazing. We were there for four days and we went there for two days. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It all just looks amazing. Did not disappoint. I mean, I didn't go, but I looked. At the, I posted the pictures on socials. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, let's wrap up. Mwah! I want to tell our dear new editor, Paul. Yeah, that's right. We got an editor and this is Rhonda's first. Fucking hell. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my God. Bring him on the sh- Good man. Oh my God. Can I just say, oh my God, I love this guy. Oh my God. For those who don't know, Paul is Deanna's partner, her, her fiancé. and my fiancé. Yesterday, I called D after spending three and a half hours editing half an hour of audio of us. And I just said, I fucking hate myself. I'm so annoying. It took three and a half fucking hours to edit 30 minutes of audio. Can we get Paul to do I was thinking, which one of our partners we kind of get to do it? And I thought Paul is more pleasant. And I won't have to hear the moaning. Um, we'll hear the moaning. I'll hear the moaning. I'm happy to compensate Paul for this job. He gets compensated enough, don't you worry. <laughs> and we don't even mind the audio editing as a task. It's not like it's Oh, it's unpleasant. enjoyable. It's lengthy. It just takes so long because we talk so much. So I just want to say to our dear podcast editor, Paul. We have, we now have a team. <laughs> the social club is growing. We have our manager, who is our mom. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say we have our listener, our dad, but that's not true. He never no, listens. Best he and we have, <laughs> and we have our podcast editor. Oh, thank fuck, Gianna. He can have the title of producer. Well, on that note, we'll post all our sources in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> mine is snapped <laughs> documentary. <laughs> no, that that and a few others. Murderpedia. <laughs> 
Who knew knew that that was a thing? Mm. Who the fuck started that? Do you remember back in the day when we were at school, it was all about Rotten.com? So we had to do it for our shits and giggles back in the day. Rotten.com. Oh, God, God, God. The relief. Nice, huh? Fucking hell. Oh, my God. We'll we'll feature Paul on our social media. He's a sick, twisted bastard. I always tell him he needs his own podcast. Good man, because he can talk. He can talk. And he comes out with some weird shit that I know some weirdos out there will want to also listen to. Oh, do you know what? Honestly, because let me tell you, this podcasting stuff, it's laborious, huh? We do it because we love our listeners and we want to give you what you want. Yeah, don't start a podcast if you're really short on time, unless you have lots of money to pay people like us to do the stuff for you. Yeah. All right. One thing I will say, I never want to get a researcher because that's my favorite part. Yeah. Oh, 100%. The research and the delivery. And for me, the socials, because most of my work is the socials. Let's end this. Let me go peace. <laughs> we can record the next one. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this horrible story about Michelle Notek, who I had no idea about. Never even heard that name. Do you know what I want to know? Who of our listeners knew about her before? We'll do a poll then. And yeah. It- DM us. Send us messages for fuck's sake. Yeah. Get in touch. We love hearing from you guys. We love it. Love you. See you next week then. Okay, bye. Bye. Network So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Do you know an army mom who deserves an extra special gift this Mother's Day? Order a commemorative brick to be placed in her honor on the grounds of the National Museum of the United States Army in Alexandria, Virginia. You can personalize the brick with the perfect message and even order a replica to have as a keepsake. Order now and her brick will be installed by Veterans Day. Remember mom's service in a way that will last forever. Design your brick and place your order at armyhistory.org. That's armyhistory.org.